BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, everybody, and welcome to RealPod. I'm Victoria Garrick, former D1 athlete and mental health and body image advocate, and I'll be your host. We've got awesome guests, weekly inspiration, and are bringing you the realest conversations about everything and anything. Now let's get real. Welcome back to Real Pod, everybody. I hope you are having an amazing week. Thank you for submitting all of your wonderful questions for today's episode. For those of you that don't know, it is National Eating Disorder Awareness Week, which started yesterday, and I uploaded a video to my YouTube channel, which shared my binge eating disorder story, and I also posted to my Instagram, at Victoria Garrick, asking for submissions of questions to talk about eating disorders, keep raising awareness, and help answer any questions that you guys might have for me and my personal story that I've shared on YouTube and on social media. So I'm really excited to answer all your questions. I'm currently, let me set the scene for you. I just spoke at Dartmouth today and I am on the road. So I am recording in my hotel room, but it's nice and comfy in here. I just had chicken fingers, which were delicious. And now I'm laying in bed and I have your questions on a Google Doc, and I am just ready to get real and answer them. I almost feel like we're having a sleepover, so this is great. <laughs> um, let's just dive right in. I, I feel bad if you didn't get the chance to ask me a question, but just make sure that you are following Instagram and YouTube so that you can also be the first to know about this stuff. Um, okay, with that said, I'm going to dive in with the first question. So the first question is, how do you know you have a problem with food or you have an eating disorder? And then a few questions that are related to that I want to couple together are, how do you know when a diet and trying to eat healthy turns into an issue with food? And how do you know when a problem is starting? So this is a really great question. And it can definitely be easy to think we are just eating healthy or think we're just you know, cutting things out that are bad for us. And, and then we don't realize, oh, wait. I'm, I'm literally not eating enough food or I'm starting to feel lightheaded or my body is, is weaker now. So I think for me, I realized I had a problem with food when it became a thought on my mind every second of every day. I think I realized it was a big issue when it was all I thought about what I was eating, what I couldn't eat, when I couldn't eat and how my body looked. So for me, when food took over, that's when I realized it was a problem. And I think no matter who you are in your everyday life, like sit back and ask yourself, how often am I thinking about food and what I'm eating and am I critiquing this and am I overthinking it? Because if it's all the time, um, you know, there's pr- 
probably some disordered eating happening. And by the way, you guys, 80% of women are disordered eaters. So more likely than not, a person is going to be a disordered eater or a woman is. So I think the, re- the, the way you find out if you have a problem with food is if you just think about, you know, how much of a priority is this in my life? How often am I obsessing over it? And then, you know, from there, start to think about the way you have a relationship with food and then evaluate, you know, if that's considered normal or disordered. The next thing on the list is, were you ever in denial? Like telling yourself you didn't have an eating disorder or like it couldn't happen to you. Yes, 1000%. I definitely was in denial. I feel like for binging especially, something about binging to me felt so shameful because it was like this monstrous, I'm eating everything in sight and not stopping. And that to me, like I definitely did not want to admit that that was an issue because it felt so embarrassing. Like, you know, that's the only word is embarrassing, like just eating all this food during a binge. So I definitely was in denial. I also definitely thought it couldn't happen to me because in high school, while I had issues, I was good at counting calories and I was good at staying at a goal weight. And I never really fluctuated a ton. And whenever I wanted to lose weight, I lost the weight quickly. So I felt really confident going into college that I wouldn't have any problems with food because I was like, oh, I know how to count calories. I know how to do this. Um, And then I definitely you know, went through everything I went through and realized, yeah, I'm not um, untouchable. I'm not immune to experiencing this. And, um, you know, all of that stuff just got magnified in college and I led to the the issues I had. So yes, I was in denial. And yes, I totally thought it could not happen to me just given the way that I grew up and treated food. The next question is, how did you cope with the realization you had an eating disorder? So when I first was told this by my nutritionist, it was so painful. I remember just like hysterically crying on that walk to practice afterwards because I felt like I had been marked as, you know, disordered, flawed. Like, you know, I feel like there's all these normal girls and normal humans and I and I did something wrong. And now I was I had a label on me. A label is the word. And when you feel like you have a label, it just makes you feel flawed. And so when I realized this, it was it was really hard for me. And I think I coped with it in privacy. You know, I definitely was coping with it behind the scenes. And I wasn't talking about this on social media um, at the time. I wasn't even talking about mental health. I didn't even give it a TED talk at the time. So I wasn't even an advocate. So I definitely coped in private and, um, you know, worked on recovery in private. But it was definitely difficult for me. And for a while, the way I coped was, you know, just sort of keeping it to myself Um, And that obviously changed, which we'll get into in a few of the later on questions. The next one is, were there certain events that triggered your binging? Yes, definitely. I would say for me, like a stressful or bad practice definitely triggered it or like a really rough day at school and coming home, like all I wanted to do was eat. Or if I was really anxious, like my anxiety triggered my binging. If I was really anxious about um, a game or something like that, it would trigger my binging for sure. And I, and then there's another question that's, could you feel, you know, the binging coming on and creeping in? Like, did you, did you notice tendencies? And definitely like I would get an urge, you get this urge to eat and it's like uncontrollable. And so one of the things I was working on in like recovery was when I get that urge to binge, you know, don't go near kitchen, don't go near food, maybe go on a walk, 
to blow off steam or maybe go do some mindful breathing and have the emotions cool off. Um, give yourself 10 or 15 minutes elsewhere to, to settle out and hopefully let the urge pass. So there were things that definitely triggered it, especially to like um, going to places where there were like buffets and open food. I mean, that was so hard for me. I feel like I told myself like I can't eat anything. Like sometimes if I would be going to like a place where they would have a charcuterie board or they would have a buffet or the the place I was at had all these snacks laid on the table, I had to tell myself like do not eat anything because I knew the minute I ate, it would trigger this binge because there's just all of this unlimited food lying out, right? So that was definitely a situation that was really hard for me and I always ended up, you know, having one Cheeto or having one chip and then just like eating throughout the whole night and also feeling so weird about it because it's like you're eating and you keep filling your plate and you keep talking to people but all you're thinking about is that you're eating and you shouldn't be eating and and all this stuff and you're trying to hide it but you're in public. So yes, things definitely triggered me and um, you know, I could notice those tendencies when they crept in for sure. How did you cope with binge eating and needing to stay in shape? Um, so that's a good question. And I also want to wrap into that question. Someone also asked, did your eating disorder affect your volleyball performance? Like what happens when you're binging affects the player that you're going to be on the court? And it definitely had an effect. I mean, I remember, um, one volleyball practice, one of my teammates brought Krispy Kreme donuts to the locker room and, you know, I was on my restrictive diet of don't eat junk food, don't eat a lot of fair calories. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to have one donut. And I literally, you guys, I think I ended up having one, two, something like seven, seven or six Krispy Kreme donuts before a practice. And mind you, my teammate brought these when she showed up for practice, which was like 30 minutes beforehand. So I ate like six donuts right before I played volleyball. And I remember that practice feeling so sick to my stomach. I could barely jump serve. I could barely like get through practice because I felt so sick inside. So it definitely, the binging definitely affected the way I played, not to mention just the self-consciousness of having a binge and then putting on a tight uniform and going out there and playing was so uncomfortable for me. Um, And, you know, in terms of the weight gain, I definitely gained weight. Um, I said in my video I gained 35 pounds, which is true. In high school, I was, when I was at my lowest, I was 35 pounds lighter than I was my heaviest sophomore year. And, um, you know, I didn't gain enough, like the weight for me didn't make me worse of a player. Like I was still, you could, that's the thing too, guys, as athletes, you can still be in shape and have fat. I think there's this misconception of like to be a great athlete, you have to have a six pack and have like a low body fat percentage, but you can be a great athlete and have a high body fat percentage and have fat on you. And so, you know, it didn't really affect me physically except for just feeling sick and feeling gross. However, like especially volleyball is so technical, like 35 pounds on me or not, I was able to make an angle and like pass because it's technical, right? It would definitely be different if I played soccer and it has to be running, you know, a lot of miles every single day. So you know, I think it crept in more in the sense of like how I felt and how my felt sick like affected my playing for sure. The next question is, what did you do to stop binge eating? So I talk about this in my YouTube video, so I suggest you check that out as well. 
But um, the main thing I did to stop binging was I took away all of my restrictions. And I did that as I was working on learning how to intuitively eat. So binging usually happens when you tell yourself you can't have certain foods and you restrict. So of course, that's why I wanted to eat all this food in these short amount of times is because I thought it was the only time I was going to allow myself to eat. So to stop binging, I had to get rid of these restrictions. I had to tell myself, no more rules. Okay, Victoria, no more rules, no more off limits, no more bad, good things. You can have whatever you want, whenever you want. And that was very scary, of course, you know, because you think it's just going to be like your cue to run for the hills and eat all this food until you die pretty much. But when you're intuitively eating and you're actually practicing the, the true concept of it, which I did along with the book Breaking Free from Emotional Eating, you, you don't have that urge. You might in the beginning. I remember the author of the book actually said that when she first got rid of restrictions, she ate chocolate chip cookies for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for like five days straight. <laughs> and sometimes like you have to start that way. But then on that fifth day, I don't want cookies. She, she wants something nutritious. She wants something that will feel different. And you just slowly get rid of this restrictive barrier. So, you know, intuitive eating was huge for me. And, you know, stopping the restrictions and the toxic diet culture. The next question was from a DM. And it was someone that said, struggled a lot with food. I dealt with anorexia. And I felt like I recovered for a while. But then I had a relapse where I fell into bad habits. Any advice? Yes. My advice for you is to sort of realize and accept that recovery is not perfect. So I can see in your message, you said you recovered and were good for a while, but then you had a relapse and fell back into bad habits. And I would just say that I feel like that's so human and it's so normal to have speed bumps and to be good for a while and then to have a mishap. You know, I remember when I first was dealing with this, um, you know, I did, I went like a few weeks, months without binging. I was so excited. And then something bad happened and I emotionally ate and I was so upset with myself and I felt like I'd ruined it, right? Like I had this streak of goodness and I realized that I needed to be compassionate with myself, that I'm a human and my whole life, there's going to be times I emotionally eat or something happens or I'm triggered by something and the bad thoughts creep in, but I just have to be compassionate and remind myself this has been really hard for me. I've spent a lot of time on this. I've been through a lot and I'm going to talk to myself the way I would a loved one or a best friend right now as I deal with this relapsing moment. So my advice for you is, you know, you're not going to be perfect ever. And if you hold yourself to that standard, every time you have a little hiccup, it's just going to tear you down more and more. So um, I would say like, it's so awesome that you recovered for a while. Like that's incredible. It's so hard to do. And, you know, when that relapse happens, I think that's the opportunity for you to call on all the things you learned in recovery and to get into recovery to help you get back on track. And, you know, just to be really loving and compassionate with yourself because you're a human and, of course, you're going to have hiccups. The next question is, how did you recognize when you were recovered and not binging anymore? So I obviously realized I wasn't binging anymore when you know, that stopped. However, I would say the biggest green lights for me that I was doing great were when my emotions were really happy or really sad and I didn't turn to food. I think getting to a place where I could be really sad and anxious and realize food is not what I wanted and um, really sitting to myself and thinking, okay, 
The food is not what I want. I remember, you know, one of the, the things in the book is when you're recovering from binging and you're craving food because you're really anxious or emotional to tell yourself, okay, I'm going to give myself 10 minutes, 10 minutes to sit in these emotions, to think about why I'm having these feelings, what's causing this inside me and why I want the food. And if the food's going to help me, I'm going to spend 10 minutes on this. And if I want the food at the end of 10 minutes, I'll go eat the food. And most of the time, if you really give yourself those 10 minutes, you'll realize that the food is not the answer. And I think when I finally got to that point, I was realizing I really was recovering from binging. The next question is, what is it like sharing this with loved ones and people close to you for the first time? Another question that I want to tie with that is someone said, I want to tell my mom about what's going on, but I don't understand how to even describe it since I can't understand it myself. So I resonate with both of these things. Um, In terms of that latter part of not really knowing what to say, I would encourage you to just say what you can because the chance is, you know, people are going to understand more than we think. You know, we're not going to sound like we're talking gibberish, even though it feels like we are. And also, it is hard to talk to a loved one for the first time and people close to you. And it was scary for me to tell my mom and try to explain to her, like, I eat all this food and I can't stop. I didn't think she would understand either. Um, But she did. And she found me this book that ended up being so helpful for me. And along with you guys, like in any situation in your life, when you get to a place where it's hard to talk to your loved one about something, mental health, sexual assault, depression, anxiety, trauma, PTSD, eating disorder, I encourage you to do this if you really feel the need. Whoever this person is, before you say the thing you need to say, ask them, is there anything I could do or say that would make you not love me? And I promise you that this person would say no, of course not. There's nothing you could do or say that would make me not love you. And I think that's the assurance that you need to know that no matter what you're about to tell them about your own struggles, they're going to be there for you. So it's definitely not easy to talk to people about what you're going through, but give them the, the ultimate belief and credit that they're a good human being and they're going to be there for you. The next question is, as a 14-year-old girl, my body is changing and I'm easily fooled by pictures on Instagram. What are your tips for me? My tips for you little cutie, is unfollow the people that fool you on Instagram. It is the easiest thing to do. It is the answer, and it's a simple fix. Whoever these people are that are fooling you, just unfollow them Um, and just start to curate a feed that is helpful for you and doesn't fool you and doesn't make you insecure about your changing body. You know, follow accounts about puberty. Follow other 14-year-old girls, um, people who are, you know, experiencing similar things because I can imagine, right, that you're 14 and you're following, you know, a 22-year-old Victoria's Secret model. And of course, that's going to make you insecure and have issues with your body. So I would unfollow those people. And I know that's hard to do. You don't want to unfollow them. But I promise you can follow them back at any time. So just give yourself a week with a new feed where you don't have all those foolish posts and see how that goes for you. It was really helpful for me. So I hope that works for you. The next question is, my boyfriend has an eating disorder and he's away in treatment out of state How do I support him and make sure I don't trigger him? And any advice for supporters? This is so sweet. And one, I'm so happy that your boyfriend is getting the treatment he needs. And it was so great that you were already supporting him just by submitting a question and wanting to, you know, help in any way you can. So I love that. I would say 
the best way to support him and make sure you don't trigger him is to ask him. Ask him how he wants this to be a conversation in the relationship or if he doesn't want it to be. Ask him if um, he likes it when you ask him how the sessions were at treatment or if he prefers for you to be his escape. And when he FaceTimes you or calls you at night, he doesn't want to hear it, talk anything about treatment. You know, I don't know. So I think it's really important in any relationship to have these tough conversations and they might be tough at first and it might be uncomfortable and emotional, you know, to say, you know, what triggers you and how can I mitigate triggering you and how can I support you? And that's going to be a tough conversation. But once you have it, you're only going to be stronger in your relationship and be better off in supporting him going forward. So that would be my advice um, as a supporter of anyone that you love going through an eating disorder is, you know, talking to them about um, what, what they need from you. So that's, that's great that you're even caring and thinking that far ahead. And I hope you guys have that conversation. The next question is a DM. It said, I loved my body and my big booty. Yes, girl. Yes, you do. But my coach verbally abuses me sometimes and told me I needed to lose a ton of weight. And she comments on what I eat in front of the team. This coach is gone now, but her words stick in my head. Uh, your video helped me a lot, and my loved ones are also helping me along the way. Mom, thank you. Um, and I'm so happy that you have your loved ones helping you, that you can be honest with all the stuff about. Dang, nothing worse that gets my blood boiling than a coach that comments on players' body image. I mean, personally, I think the coach is there for making sure you play the sport well, and the nutritionist and the professionals for food and body image are there to to help you with your health needs. So I hate when coaches cross over and think they do everything. So I'm really sorry to deal with that. The first thing I want to say to you is we all have words in our head from a coach that said something negative to us. Whether that was body image, not being a good enough player, being worthless, being terrible, losing the game for everyone. Everyone has these thoughts that they they will always remember so you're not alone in that so don't feel you know upset about that and the second thing I would say is remind yourself that this coach is not the person who validates you and who decides if you can love yourself or have a beautiful body and be proud of your body you know you are so no matter what this coach said to you channel that I love my big booty energy that you also wrote in your message and remember that you're the only person that gets to decide that you love your body and that you love your weight. And you don't need to, to lose weight to be worthy and, and less is not more. So the two things I would say is, one, you're not alone in having thoughts like this. And secondly, remind yourself that your words are what matter the most. And, and what are you saying to yourself? Because in the long run, that's going to be way more influential than something that someone else has said to you. The next question is, was your eating disorder one of the main parts of your mental health and where did it stem from? I would say that my anxiety, especially my performance anxiety, was the biggest thing that kind of stirred up my mental health pot, if you will. And that performance anxiety is what led to, you know, having this eating disorder issue. And I also believe that the performance anxiety and the eating disorder are what led to this depression because I was exhausted from dealing with all these mental health issues. And so it definitely was one of the main parts of my mental health. Um, in terms of where it stemmed from specifically, I think the binging stemmed from the restriction. I think restricting food and going on these really intense diets, especially while playing volleyball at a high level, is what triggered the binging for sure. The next question is, what has it been like since recovering and how do you prevent not falling into bad habits? So I would just 
relate this to the question I answered before on that on being really compassionate. And since recovering, I've had such a healthy relationship with food. I think, you know, the first year of recovery is difficult and you're going to have slips and ups and downs. For me personally, you know, after I surpass that one year threshold of working on this, I feel really confident in how I handle and approach food in my body. And it's been great, you know, it, it's been something that I, I do have to work on. There's still days I wake up and I feel bloated and I, or I see a food that triggers me and it's difficult, but I think I always just have a little sweet spot, a little compassion for this was a part of me. It was hard for me. And it always is going to be like that. It is never going to be something I can completely forget. I'm never going to have a day where the possibility of being triggered isn't on the table. Um, and so I think just being really compassionate and having that sweet spot for myself um, has helped me not fall back into those bad habits. And the very last question is, how do you ask for help? This is a great question. I, I love ending on this question. If I've said something that resonates with you or you think you have an eating disorder or you think you're going through some something, please talk to someone about it. And I think the way you ask for help is you be really honest about what you're going through. And that's not easy to do. It's scary. It takes bravery. It takes courage. But something that helps me is knowing that the person you're about to talk to is also a human being who suffered and who struggled. Even if it's your parent who you think always seems happy, or it's a school counselor who you think doesn't have problems, or it's one of your best friends who always seems like they have it together. I promise you that they've experienced something tough. They have because they're humans, right? No one's perfect. So when you ask for help, I think you should be really, really honest so that you can allow yourself to get the help you need. And then secondly, know that whoever you're talking to is going to be able to be compassionate for you, want to help you, and definitely care for you. And there are so many amazing resources out there that you can utilize uh, both at school, both with the national hotline, with nonprofit organizations for eating disorder awareness, and NIDA especially, and the Jed Foundation. So I would look into what's available for you and also just counting on the loved ones in your life because I promise you that you have someone, you have someone out there, one person that really does care for you and wants you to be better. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Real Pod. I really hope that this Q&A was something different but also helpful for you all and allowed you to dive deeper into my story and the YouTube video I uploaded yesterday. I really appreciate all of your love and support. It really means the world to me. Talking about this has not been easy for me at all. So just to get your DMs and your comments saying that it was helpful for you just makes me so happy. I, I cannot even explain it. So thank you for listening to Real Pod. I hope you're subscribed on iTunes and Spotify. You can follow Real Pod on Instagram. It's at Real Pod. You can follow me on Instagram at Victoria Garrick. And also make sure that you rate and review this podcast if you enjoy it. That would be so cool of you. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you have an awesome rest of your National Eating Disorder Awareness Week. And I am sending good love, thoughts, and prayers to all of you out there struggling and battling and fighting that good fight this week. Keep it up. Don't give up. And you've got this.